to Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amor, author, coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Lori Carpenos, welcome to Unbroken. Oh, thank you, Alexandra. It's nice to be with you. It's great to have you here. I'm so happy to meet you. So why don't we begin by you telling us a bit about your background and how you came to find the three principles? Well, um, they actually found me. It was quite by happenstance. I'd never heard of Sydney Banks. I never heard of the three principles. I was an art teacher. I was an art teacher in Massachusetts in um, America, in the US. And I um, got a master's in expressive arts therapy. I had this idea I wanted to do art therapy. And the place for that was California. So I was uh, 25 years old and I decided to quit my tenured art teacher job, much the, to the dismay of my parents, but you know they, they tried to stop me, but I felt called in, in retrospect when I realized it was not to be an art therapist because I'm driving across the country because that California was known as the land of um, new thought, new things, and art therapy was supposedly really big. I'm driving halfway, I get halfway across, and I'm listening to a program, NPR, where they're talking about a um, bill that had just passed in California, eliminating art in, yeah, art, music, all the extracurricular activities in um, hospitals, schools. And I couldn't believe it. It was like I was hearing something <laughs> that was not true. And I'm thinking, well, I'm halfway there. I already quit my job. I don't have a job back in the, you know, on the East Coast. So what do I do? I decided to keep going. I didn't have a job. I knew one person in Northern California where I was headed to, no job. I cocktail waitressed with my master's degree, you know, in my pocket. And um, one thing led to another. Uh, um, I, well, you know, it's a long story not to get into, but the, the crux of the matter was I got into a relationship uh, with a boyfriend who had gotten the um, degree from California trans 
personal psychology, and he was heading to Florida to the Advanced Human Studies Institute, which you probably heard was the first training uh, place in, in, uh, in the world, actually, at that time. So I thought, well, I'll go, I'll go with him. Of course, I'll go with him. I'll be closer to my family then. I mean, I went out to California, you know, and this is now three years later. And um, still, I did get a few part-time jobs as an art therapist in the VA hospital and also um, in Children's Hospital at Stanford University. And both of those were really interesting situations. Um, so I landed at the Advanced Human Studies Institute, and I'm going to a talk by this unknown person to me, Sydney Banks. And it was like somebody turned a light on in my head. Is the only way I could explain how I suddenly realized that my the trajectory of my life is not completely up to me. That there's some flow that is beyond me. And what I realized later is I, you know, how else to describe something like that? But I was drawn, I was driven to drive all that distance by myself, alone in my car with whatever belongings I had at the time. And, um, you know, so I, I realized later that it was really was a calling to be part of this understanding, which now we know is a whole paradigm shift in psychology. Yes. Yeah. And so what happened next? Where did where did this road take you? Well, there I am at the Advanced Human Studies Institute, and I wasn't a student, but my boyfriend was a student for a year. And I saw that he was um, calmer, more settled down. And so I decided to take the year training. And that's where I met, you know, so many people from that are, that are familiar to you and some of the listeners. And so I learned from them as much as I did from Sid Banks, you know, because they would have insights and I would realize, yeah, I see that too. You know, because you, you know, when you hear truth, everybody knows that it, it resonates. It makes perfect sense. You can't debate it. And I'm just curious, was he there all the time or was he coming and going? Um, he said, no, he would come and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He would come and go. Roger Mills was there all the time. And um, I know you did a an interview with Jack about Modelo, about the project that Roger did in the in these projects. And um, I was there at that time, but I did not meet the people who were involved in Modelo until a conference many years later. Mm. And just the stories were so um, incredible, incredible how people's lives changed mm. from what was called in, um, there was a newscast about it and they called it the wild, wild west. Wow. 
that's what Medela was like the wild, wild west, you know, with um, drug dealers and shootings and all kinds of things. And to see these women, they, they were mostly women who were, you know, um, heads of the household mm -hmm. and uh, the children. And at this conference, one of the women said that, you know, we all thought that we were third generation welfare recipients. That's who we thought we were. So that's how we behaved in the world. Mm. We behave according to how we think of ourselves. And then she said, one of them discovered that they were, um, had, a, had a program nearby that they could get a GED, hmm. right? A high school certificate. And one by one, they did that. Some of them actually became social workers. Wow. Some of them to this day, you can see them on YouTube that they are providing services to other people who are troubled and don't know who they really are. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. Very cool. So then where after after that year of training, um, where did your professional life take you? Ah, oh, good question. Well, there was um, a very good friend of mine, Hazel Foss. Some people will recognize her name. She's no longer with us. But Hazel suggested that I get a license as a marriage and family therapist because that was a way that I could um, share what I had learned you know, what was helping me so much in all of my relationships. Mm. And um, so I did that. I followed her suggestion, um, had to get some extra courses and, and do a um, internship. And so um, I spent a year at the Advanced Human Studies Institute after my year training as a counselor. And um, yeah, so I got a license as a marriage and family therapist. And that's pretty much oh, where, you know, what I've been doing ever since. Wow. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, speaking of, well, let's back up a little bit. And so tell me a little bit about what your life was like before you learned about this understanding, before you met <laughs> Sydney Banks, and, and then what it was like after. I'd love to know that. Well, that's another great question because I didn't realize that I was depressed. Mm. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun being an art teacher and uh, being in Boston at the time uh, and, um, you know, had friends and uh, boyfriends and, um, but in my master's program, it was recommended that we all get into therapy. So I got, you know, because art therapy, get into our own therapy. So I did that. And I got a diagnosis. <laughs> I got a diagnosis. I, they sent me to the Jung Institute um, in San Francisco. And um, I took a battery of tests and I came out with dysthymia, long-term depression. 
Oh, wow. And so that, yeah, I know, right? So that explained to me that everybody's life was not difficult. Mm. Right? I guess, you know, so then I started to think, oh, I really have a problem. And, you know, so you can imagine what a relief it was to be around other people who were learning from Sid, learning that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as mental health disorders. There's a wonderful book coming out about that. Um, you know, and when I was entering this world of therapy, in order for people's insurance to pay therapists, you have to give them a diagnosis. And I was so against that, but I discovered I could use a diagnosis called adjustment disorder. And I tell people that's the diagnosis I use because we all go through adjustments in life. <laughs> but I'll never forget what Sid said. Sid Bank said that in the future, there will be one diagnosis mm. and it will be the misuse of the ability to think. Mm -hmm. And that made perfect sense to me because I did not go from having a label as depressed to going to having a pretty carefree life. And it was, well, I can't say, a, some of it was overnight, but it, over the, the years, it just keeps getting better because I see when I get tangled up in my personal thinking and I let it go. You know, it's like, why would you hold on to a hot rock? You'd, you'd drop it. You'd let it go because you don't want it to burn your hand. Well, it's the same thing with um, thinking that there's something wrong with you and thinking about all the things you don't like and all the judgments and expectations we take on about how life is supposed to be. And to find out that it's all coming from me. It, the outside world is not telling me that I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with, well, sorry for people diagnosing me. Nobody else is telling me there's something wrong with me. Um, so it was me telling myself a lot of hogwash mm. and believing it. I mean, I sometimes get these thoughts, well, you could do better, you know, but then I don't have to believe it. I don't have to act as though that's who I am. It's not who I am. And that's really what I came to see mm. is that we all, everybody has an essence, a spiritual essence that's so far beyond what we concoct with our brain, with our ability to think. We have this amazing ability to think. I mean, I couldn't be here with you if I couldn't think my way here. But boy, do we use it against ourselves unnecessarily. And, and to wake up to that, and there's not a person in this world, no matter what their circumstances have been, because I've worked with people with the most 
unbelievable traumatic events in their past and they see through it, that that's over. And in fact, they wake up to the fact that they had what it took to get to go beyond it, to get past it, to leave it behind them. So. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I love that. And so you mentioned going into marriage and family therapy, and I saw this mentioned on your website that one of the things you want couples to learn is that they don't need to work on their relationship. <laughs> and so tell us about that and why that is, which it sounds so contrary to the sort of standard way that people go when they are having trouble in their relationship. Oh, yes. It's the standard way, right? Yeah. Couples come in and, you know, they'll write to me or they'll um, contact me. We have to work on our relationship. And, you know, when I get to talk to them, I can explain to them that the idea of working on anything is typically not very pleasant. <laughs> that you have to do something that you don't really want to do. So when anybody learns that, it just takes getting back into a quiet mind, a quiet state of mind that's not judging their partner, that's not blaming the other person, because the judgment and blame is coming from us, from the thinker. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come from out there. It doesn't come from another person. It doesn't even come from an event. I mean, bad things happen, but it's how we think about it. And how long we choose to think about something that we can't fix. <laughs> and do you th does this idea really surprise couples at first? Some, yeah, but some it just makes, you know, it, it lands on them like it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we've been thinking that we're really in trouble and we have to do something that's going to be um, awful and um, time consuming and expensive. And so they build up this um, aversion to even talking to me and an aversion to talking to each other. Mm. If you can believe that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just really something that people will be so um, afraid to talk to their partner and there is not anything that a person has to be afraid to share when they're in a loving, peaceful state of mind. Mm -hmm. Well, and I imagine when you, if, when, if you're seeing that the relationship is a problem, you know, and then, going in and talking about it, of course, that would feel yucky, you know, it wouldn't feel like a good thing to do. But when I imagine when people see the difference of going into something like that with a calm, quiet state of mind it must be quite uh, revelatory. Right. Isn't that true? You know, when you think about it, that, like you say, a problem if people think that they have a problem, 
it's just going to get them all worked up and get them thinking about whatever they think the problem is. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> and people can relate to this because they know that they have had moments where they weren't thinking problems and it was like they fell back in love with their partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of the blue. That their head clears, their mind clears, and they get a feeling of falling back in love. Because mm-hmm. love is always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've all heard, you know, not just in the three principles community, but in uh, so many spiritual communities that that's who we are. And we can witness that when you look at children, at babies, they go right back into love. Mm. Yes. Right? Yeah. They go right back. They get, you know, they cry. They, they need their diaper changed or they need they're hungry, that's taken care of. And then they're just smiling. And I mean, nobody teaches babies to smile. Where does that come from? (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And you know what it occurs to me, there's that famous couples therapist, and the name is escaping me right now, who had the love lab in Seattle. Do you know who I'm talking about? And, oh, drat. Well, this was, (laughs) I shouldn't have brought it up. Anyway, and they said that they could observe people, couples, and they could tell if the couple would last or if they wouldn't just by observing them for a while, a day or two. And the premise was that the people would um, kind of come to the relationship from a loving place is what I'm seeing now. But what um, what came out of it was they created a, you know, a system for kind of doing that artificially. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> but I think what I'm seeing is that they they had seen what what we're talking about and and sort of we're just framing it slightly differently. Right. I I I do know what you're referring to. Okay. You know, and they were observing couples who were angry at each other. And then they would say, well, this couple isn't going to last, not realizing that it's a temporary condition. Mm -hmm. And when they observed couples who loved each other, even though they were mad at each other, they would say, well, I love him to death, but he really upsets me. (laughs) Um. And they had the idea that that would last. And like you said, they started to try to create that artificially. Like, you know, we call that outside in Mm -hmm. in the three principles community because it's trying to use a technique or create something that's not coming from them. That's why, you know, it's such a paradigm shift in psychology. Mm -hmm that um, recognizing that everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, is coming from us, Mm -hmm. from whatever thinking we're in. And you can't get away from your thinking, but you can realize that it's like you just got on the wrong thought wave. Like getting on the wrong bus, you get off, 
get on a better bus that's going to take you to a better part of town where you want to be. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good analogy. I love that. And so um, one of the things that you also mentioned on your website is that we are expressions of universal love. You've kind of touched on this with the analogy about babies um, and how when we know this, it can ease our suffering. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I love that question. Yeah. So when you realize that you already are, like you called it, universal love, you're not looking for somebody else to complete you, to give you love. I mean, you already have all the love you ever need. Is it wonderful to be in a loving relationship, exchanging the feelings of love, sharing the feelings of love? Absolutely. Um, but it's not necessary to have a beautiful life because you, we already have everything we need. So it's impossible to blame somebody if I'm not feeling good. Right. I mean, it, it makes no sense. Who am I going to blame about that? Now, I could, you know, look at the person and who's saying nasty things to me. And I could say, well, of course I feel bad because, you know, he or she is, 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 is saying something really nasty. But it doesn't tell me that anymore. What it tells me is the state of mind that that person is in. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, right? That we, yeah. I know you've seen this too, that you could still love somebody who's saying something nasty to you because it says, it doesn't say anything about you. It just tells you the state of mind of the speaker. And you want to love them more then because you feel bad for them that they're in a bad state of mind. So true. Yes. Yeah. I love, and I love that you said we have, we always have all the love we need. That's such an important point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, coming to a relationship with that awareness, I imagine it's like having a completely full cup, you know, as coaches say, like you're, you're completely filled up yourself and yeah, I just imagine that that changes the dynamics of a relationship so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. People, yeah, people wouldn't be looking for the other person to be all the things they need them to be. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I hear a lot from couples about, you know, one feels controlled by the other. And when that person labeled as controlling realizes that they don't need their partner to be a certain way in order to live a nice life, then they can let their partner live their life the way they see to live it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not dependent on how their partner lives their life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, really. It's just lovely. You must, well, 
I shouldn't assume, but I'm assuming you see transformation in relationships when people start to get this. Yeah, especially I, I would have to say, you know, the old therapy model is one hour a week. And what happens with couples, they'll, you know, wake up during a session if they come one hour a week, and then they go about their lives and they're sucked back into the prevalent thinking in society, which is before this paradigm shift, which is out there. We have to fix what's out there. We have to fix the other person. So it's almost like a rubber band. But when people come for um, longer stretches of time, that makes the big difference. And when they go back and, you know, so they'll come like for an intensive, um, you know, it's called different things, retreat. I like that. I like that term. So they'll come for even just three, four days, sometimes longer, but three, four days in a row. And I will work specifically with them. That makes the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. And then they go back and yeah, the world is still the way it is, but they don't get sucked into it because they they've seen, they've really seen what a difference it makes to just really be in the best state of mind that they can find mm -hmm. in any given moment. And nobody's there. St. Banks wasn't there hundred percent of the time, you know, but when we're not there, we know to not take ourselves so seriously. Yeah. I was going to say over the course of three or four days, there would be that natural ebb and flow of our state of mind. And, right. and I imagine you can point out to them, you know, that, Oh, this is what's happening. Yeah. Exactly. Even in an hour session, there's an ebb and flow and I can point out to them. You see how the difference is right now, how you're feeling. Yeah. That's a good point mm -hmm. because people don't realize when they go into the lower states or into a higher state of mind, they don't, realize it until it's pointed out to them mm -hmm. it's like riding an elevator of life you know yeah <laughs> that's right yeah um what do you think is our biggest misunderstanding about being in a relationship i think that you know people don't realize how they disconnect they they want they want a connection Everybody wants a connection. You know, they, they felt connected in the beginning or they wouldn't still be together. And then they lose the connection because of expectations and dissatisfactions and judgments and criticisms. And then, um, so connection is what people are looking for. And they don't realize that they're the ones that are creating the disconnect. Again, inside out, it's coming from them. And another thing I'll mention too, which is fun, it's in the book that I co-authored with Christine Heath, you know, The Secret of Love, that um, we both laughed because we're both marriage and family therapists and um, people always come to us saying that we have to work on our communication our communication skills, that's been, you know, the catchphrase in society for so long. And it's erroneous. It's, it's wrong. 
it's not communication. It's listening that they need help with. <laughs> People don't have a problem communicating. They communicate when they're angry. And it's a whole different thing when you communicate when you're in a nice state of mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that when we're in a low state of mind, we tend to get really chatty. I know I do, you know, sort of go on and on and on and circle, you know, I can feel my mind circling back around to the beginning of an argument when it gets to the end. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it's the listening though, that makes the big difference. Yeah. <gasps> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. Um, One other question I want to ask you about relationships do you think it's possible to create positive change if only one person in the couple is interested in this understanding? Another great question. Absolutely. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. And the perfect example of that is the very first chapter in The Secret of Love. And it's on um, Chip and Jan, the couple mm -hmm. and from Salt Spring. And, um, you know, they talk about this on YouTube videos, so it's publicly known, that Chip was very resistant. And Jan just saw something so deep when she heard in a talk, you know, talks, plural, by Sid Banks, it just kept getting reinforced more and more for her that her state of mind was everything. Even when he was out of sorts, she, you know, that she might get into an argument for a moment and quickly say, oh, that's it. I, I'm not doing this with you. So let's talk later when we're both feeling better. And she'd go off, she'd do her thing and, and come back. And over a period of time, and it wasn't right away, Chip himself said that he was very, very stubborn. He would say, I don't want to know about this thought business. I don't want to hear about it. But something clicked somewhere along the line. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's so great. And and because I guess too, because it's inside out, it has to do with ourselves and our thinking that even if the other person never came on board, um, it would still make a huge difference to the to the one person who was yeah exploring this absolutely yeah absolutely you know and that's also part of um expectation not expecting the other person to have a high state of mind to be in a nice loving calm peaceful state you be where you want to be without needing the other person to be anywhere other than where they are in the moment. And I imagine that has an effect too on the other partner. Someone I interviewed recently on the podcast referred to it as a tuning fork. You know, so if if my vibration has changed and it's peaceful and calm, that probably has an effect on the other person in the relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, and then every so often you'll hear, well, I want some of that. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, show me or, or show me what you're learning. I mean, that's what happened to me when I saw my boyfriend's state of mind. Mm. shifting. 
And that's when I got involved. And I said, okay, I'm going to do a year also. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a year anymore. Back then, we had no resources. There was no videos. There, I mean, today, there's just so much. People don't have to move. I had to move from <laughs> West Coast to East Coast. Um, and, you know, the group of us would travel to hear Sid uh, wherever he was speaking. And, um, you know, now you could just sit in your living room and turn on YouTube. Yeah, it's a whole different world. Yeah, I'm so grateful for technology, the way that it's, you know, can share everywhere all over the world. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So um, you have you potentially have a new podcast coming up for single people. Tell us about that. <laughs> Somebody else came up with the name and I love it. It's called Taking the BS Out of being single. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And that was an outgrowth from a course that I do um, called Finding Deep Connections. And um, that's for single people as well. Mm. Single people um, have a lot of thinking about... Um, why they need to be single, why they don't want to be single, why they shouldn't be single. You know, there's a lot of thinking going on in that world. Yeah. So, you know, the relationship, you know, so as a marriage and family therapist um, and just a person living in life, to see that it's always a relationship with our own thinking, whether we're single, partnered, married, married for 40 years, it's always the relationship we have with our own thinking. Mm. Whether the person is next to us or a hundred miles away. Yeah. That's yeah, it's so simple. So maybe it'll just be one episode of the podcast and that'd be it. <laughs> it's your relationship with your thinking. There you go. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. We're living with ourselves every moment. All the time. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap up here, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to share? Um, I don't think so. You really covered so much. You know, maybe just uh, if I could tie it together, everything we talked about is a the relationship with our own thinking, the state of which which is the state of mind we live in, mm -hmm. and it's understanding how that works, how we work as thinking beings given an amazing gift to think and the free will to think up, down, or sideways. We have the free will, you know, and I've had clients who say, you know, sometimes I just want to be bummed out. And I hang out there for a while. And I say, great, as long as you know that it's you're choosing that, have at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's no judgment. 
no judgment. But the trick is knowing that somebody is not bummed out because of what somebody said to them or a situation or an event. Right. Because we have seen people rise above situations that are beyond imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lovely. Oh, thank you for pulling that all together. That's great. <laughs> so where can we find out more about you and your work? Well, my website is under construction right now. It's going through um, a, a lift since it's been around for a long time. And um, I kept adding things to it and now it's all over the place. So we're pulling it all together. But it is the number three principles therapy.com. Perfect. Okay. And I will put links in the show notes. And uh, so people will be able to find it there. And your book is called The Secret of Love. Unlock the Mystery, Unleash the Magic. There's another book on Amazon called The Secret of Love, and it's a romance novel. So oh, okay. <laughs> so we have a subtitle. And I, I love the subtitle. Um, yeah, yeah, Unlock the Mystery, Unleash the Magic, because it's true. Mm. All of that is so true. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Well, thank you so much, Lori. It's been so great chatting with you today. Oh, I really enjoyed it too. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, get your complimentary copy of my Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit at alexandraamore.com forward slash starter kit. See you next time.